the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the villain... Halloween! Uh, Texas Chainsaw, Dawn of the Dead, The Hills Have Eyes, Amityville Horror, uh, Last House on the Left, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street by Bloody Valentine, when a stranger calls a prom night, Black Christmas House of Wax the Fog, uh, It's one of those writing... writing... Welcome back. <laughs> Alright guys, um, so to start this off, I just want to say that like, I really thought I was getting my shit together in this season and being a bit more like on time and it just has not worked out. Um, but I'm not giving up on this though. I have, however, made an executive decision, alright? So while I'm still going to be doing this, I'm not going to be pushing myself to put episodes out on a specific day, okay? I'm not going to be putting myself in like a time crunch and whatnot. I'm going to get episodes released like within a week, you know, like it may not be exactly a week later, but I'm going to try to put one out every week at least. Um, this is obviously a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> a podcast takes a lot of work, okay? But, like, I'm not a quitter, and I really, really enjoy doing this. So, yeah. With that being said, um, we are fresh into the new year. And we have some exciting stuff coming up in this season, particularly. Like I said, I have some awesome movies lined up. And this is the final of The Black Christmases, obviously. So, I watched this movie back again, okay? And I had said that it was my least favorite of the three. And that's true. That remains true. Um, I actually, my first watch, did not like this movie. It had me for a bit, and then it lost me. And it barely had me when it had me. But I'll tell you, I watched this a second time today. And I actually like it a lot more. Now that I knew what to expect, I liked it a lot more. I can see some choices they made that they, you know, tried to do some things with that may not have panned out necessarily the way I would have liked it to, but I still really appreciate and respect it. Um, let's deviate from that real quick. Okay, because we have to talk about Miss Megan. I'm Megan. <laughs> okay. So Megan you know, um, had a very interesting online presence. I'd say, like, it was kind of crazy because I remember a photo promoting this movie came out earlier in 2022, and it was just Megan sitting up on this bench, right? And she, she's this, like, really pretty doll with, like, lashes and she's wearing like designer clothes and she's got pretty hair and automatically one demographic in specific ate her up and that was the case and then the trailer comes out and she's doing like these bizarre dances in there and it's just kind of odd and unexpected. And so, going into this movie, I expected, like, you know, 
I expected for it to kind of be like dumb and to get shit on, but to really, really have a lot of love for it myself. Um, but before I went and saw it, the reviews came in and I was noticing like 94% and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then they announced a sequel. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So the day it came out, I went and checked it out with some friends of mine. And totally earned. Um, very much earned. This movie, and I'm not going to spoil anything here. This movie is just like a one of a kind. And that's crazy to say because it does end up being relatively predictable. And they use some, like, you know, maybe some, like, typical horror tropes. But they do some new things, too, that I really appreciate. It was not just her cute outfit and her cute coats and her hair. Like, it was the way she just carried herself. Like, you know, she's making these faces and expressions that you can see exactly what she's thinking. And she's a very, very shady little bitch. <laughs> but um, with that being said, I saw this movie multiple times in theaters. And I think it's so fun. It's ridiculously campy. But it knows what it is, and it works. Um, so definitely check it out. It's absolutely worth it. We also just had the Evil Dead Rise trailer drop. Um, I'm really excited. The main reason I'm excited is because I love the original Evil Dead. Okay, the original Evil Dead is superior. It's great. And we will talk about it sometime through this season. Because as you may know, in 2013, they remade the Evil Dead. And while the original Evil Dead dove headfirst into camp, it was still horrifying, um, but they definitely went about the camp route, and it's a silly movie, but still great and effective. The 2013 one definitely took a nosedive into the horror. Like, they deviated heavily from the camp, and it was a bit of a shift, but it still really worked for me. Evil Dead Rise, it seems is connected to the 2013 remake in the sense it's the same vibe it looks like they're going more for horror than camp it looks really horrifying there's like a possessed mom so there's like a family element in there and family elements in horror always really scare me because like i feel like families you know they experience a lot together like trauma and seeing that play out on screen is always unsettling I'm hoping we get the same chaotic, crazy shit we got from the 2013 one because I feel like that film really set a precedence for, like, violence and horror. <laughs> I don't know, it was kind of crazy. Like, I'm not one of those people that likes gore. Like, I, I will appreciate it. Like, oh, that's a really cool effect. Or, oh, that was a really cool kill. But it's still, there's some things that gross me out. Um, Terrifier 2, I am talking to you specifically. Um, but yeah, so that's new movie news so far. Um, 
let's get into this movie again. Um, so, this film was marketed as, like, oh, this is going to be, like, a feminist Black Christmas. Like, this is going to be for the girls. Like, this one is going to be about, like, powerful women and fucked patriarchy. And my whole thing is, that's what the original was, though. Like, so it's, like, I feel like... I feel like director Sophie Tekal... Is it? Tekal? Yeah. Sophia Tekal was trying to bring something different. And granted, she did. And we'll get into that. Um, but I feel like that message, like, fuck the patriarchy and, like, women are powerful, was very present in the original. Not so present in the 2006 one, I will say. But, yeah, the original, I definitely think it is. Another thing is this film was marketed horribly. Um, I think people expected one thing from this and got something completely different. Low-key, the trailer kind of spoils the end of the movie a little bit. And also, I didn't see much promotion for this at all when it came out. So, that's a bummer. Another thing that is going against this is it's a PG-13 horror movie. There is a market for PG-13 horror movies, okay? And that is usually teenagers. Like, kids who are like, oh, I want to go see a slasher, but they're not ready for something intense. Like, Terrifier 2. Um, I personally will say myself, I'm guilty of judging PG-13 horror movies. There'll be times I'm scrolling through Netflix or HBO Max, Amazon, whatever, like, looking for a scary movie, and I'll find one that's like, this sounds good, but then I'll see PG-13, and I'll think to myself, I feel like I kind of want a more mature film this time. And I feel like that's kind of something a lot of people do. I don't know, from what I've heard. But there are some good PG-13 horror movies out there. Like, let's not forget The Ring is PG-13, and that's, like, you know, a staple. Now, I heard that initially this film was supposed to be rated R. And they wanted it to be more palatable to a younger audience, so they cut some stuff out. And I feel like this film could have been a bit better if it was rated R. But I don't want to hold that completely against it. Alright, let's get into a synopsis, okay? A group of female students is stalked. That's bad grammar. A group of female students are stalked by a stranger during Christmas break. That is until the young sorority pledges discover that the killer is part of an underground college conspiracy. Almost said Suspiracy. Suspira coming soon. No! Suspiria coming soon. Um, this film was directed by Sophia. Sophia. Wow, I can't talk. This film was directed by Sophia Takal, written by Sophia Takal, April Wolf, and Roy Moore. Now, Roy Moore also did the two thousand. Also participated in the two thousand six screenplay, and the original screenplay. Did I get that right? Yes, he was also a writer on the original Black Christmas. And for our cast, we have Imogen Poots as Riley. I think we all kind of know Imogen Poots from something. 
Um, she's one of those girls who, like, you see and stuff, and you're like, oh, her, cool. I really like seeing her and stuff. We have Elise Shannon as Chris. We have Lily Donahue as Marty. Brittany O'Grady as Jesse. Brittany O'Grady, you may know from season one of White Lotus, and she was Paula. For those of you who know, you know, um, Paula, we still have beef for that stunt you pulled at the end of the season. I didn't forget. Um, we have Kayla Eberhardt as Landon. Carrie Ells. Is that it? Elvis? I don't know. As Professor Gleason. Um, this is the guy from Saw. He's Dr. Lawrence in Saw. The first movie. Um, Simon Mead as Nate. Madeline Adams as Helena. I almost... Is it Helena or Helena? I don't know. I feel like it's pronounced both ways. Um, Natalie Morris as Fran. And that's pretty much it. Alright, um, so... Let's dive in. We start off at the sorority house. And they are having a Christmas party. Um... They're all kind of talking. They're like, where's Lindsay? And one of the girls who, what is her name? They don't really say her name and you don't really find it out until later. Um, I believe it's Una. She calls Lindsay. She's like, hey girl, where are you? And Lindsay's like, oh, I'm just leaving. She's at like the library and she's walking out. Um, and Una tells her like, um... Are you coming back? And Lindsay says, no, I'm meeting with my grandma. Like, I told her I'd be there for dinner. And I was like, damn, that sucks. I'm your secret Santa. And she's like, what'd you get me? And I was like, oh, well, let's just say, like, you won't need a man anymore. Or something along those lines. So, she got her a vibrator. That, I think that's a perfectly fine present. <laughs> um, But they end the call, and Lindsay... Proceeds to walk home by herself. It's nighttime. And this man on his phone comes up behind her and he's like walking behind her. She receives a message on an app called Yip Yap. And it's the pig and the cat emoji. Or maybe it's the tiger. And she's like, what the hell? And she gets another message. And the message says, what do a Christmas ham and a sorority girl have in common? They both squeal before they die. Um, this is really creepy. Really uninventive as well. <laughs> like, uh, very, very incel behavior. But she's freaking out. She's very scared. And again, this guy behind her is on his phone walking behind her. This is where we give Lindsay the props because she's a smart girl, okay? She's holding her keys and she puts one of the key blades. Oh, so Kingdom Hearts. She puts one of the keys in between her fingers and she's ready to shank with it. However, when Lindsay turns around to be on the defense, um, this man has veered courses and he walks across the street. So he wasn't even following her. And Lindsay's kind of collecting herself for a moment. You know what? I should probably mention, too. The name of the account that messaged her... 
is Calvin Hawthorne. And the photo is like a bust. It's like a bust of a man. Um, but yeah, Lindsay is kind of like calming herself down. She turns around and there's like a hooded figure standing right there. She starts to freak out and she starts to run away from him. Um, and basically she ends up running away from him and she runs up to this house and she's pounding on the door and he's not answering or he's not answering. (laughs) Nobody is answering. So she's like, fuck. So we see behind her, the hooded figure is approaching again. But then she turns around and he's not there. She attempts to call Una back again. And she's not answering because they're playing really loud music and she can't hear her phone. Um, so then Lindsay turns around and sees the hooded figure again. And she starts freaking out and she's like backing up and she ends up like bumping into a snowman and falling over. Um, but she's able to get herself up and run to the next house. So she pounds on the door. Finally, the porch light comes on. The door opens. Psych! It's the hooded figure. Um, he shoves her down on the ground. He breaks an icicle off the porch, like, roof. And he stabs her in the chest with it. And he drags her body off. And it's, like, a really dope visual, actually. Um, there's a couple things I like about this scene. So, first and foremost, I love that kill. The icicle, dope. He fashioned a weapon off the roof, you know? Um, very handy. But also, from when she's, like, crawling back away from him and, like, on the ground, like, struggling, her arms, like, have made, like, a pattern in the snow. So, when she's being drug away, it looks like a snow angel. We get, like, a bird's eye view and it's, like, a snow angel, which... I thought was so cool looking. We get the title card, and the thing I like is they're using the font from the um, the 1974 film. It's a cute little callback. Um, there's a few really cute callbacks in here, actually, that I very much enjoyed. And here's one right now, because after the title card, we fade in on a cat. And it's so floofy and so cute. Oh my god, in this cat. So check it out, okay? Do we remember uh, Miss Mac's cat, Claude, in 1974's Black Christmas? Well, this cat is Claudette. And I know some people may think that's, like, a corny detail because, like, this is, like, promoted as such a feminist movie. But, like, um, I don't know, I think that's so cute. I love the name Claudette for her. She looks like a Claudette. But Claudette hops up on image. Imogen. (laughs) She hops up on Riley's bed, and she starts licking her face and whatnot, and Riley gets up and gets dressed. Um, she looks a little, like, doom and gloom. She looks a little, like, um, disheveled, almost? Like, she's gorgeous as Imogen Boots, but, like, she just looks like she's all out of sorts. So she get she's getting dressed, and, um... Her sorority sister, Fran, throws open her bedroom door and she goes, 
I have a final in 10 minutes and I can't find my diva cup. <laughs> Luckily, Riley has another one and she tosses it to her and she's like, thanks. Um, Riley leaves the room and she is met by her sorority sister named Helena. Okay. I think it's Helena. Again, it could be pronounced Helena. I hear it pronounced as both. And at this point, I'm really not sure. And I think it's too late to ask. Um, but she meets up with Riley in the hallway. And she's like, oh my god, Chris posted this video of you singing. And shows her the video. And she's like, oh, you should be singing tonight at the talent show instead of me. And Riley's like, huh, I'm good. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to do that. Um, we get this vibe that she just does not, because it's taking place at a frat house. She does not want to go to this frat house. Um, but Helena's like, mm, girl, like, you know, we also get the vibe that, like, Helena and Riley, I almost called her Imogen again, Riley are, like, really close. They seem to have, like, a very tight-knit bond. Um, so... So Riley is sitting in class with Marty, and it's like this literature teacher, I guess. Um, and this is this is Professor Gleason, and he is talking about this like really bullshit, like completely disgusting theory about like women, like men bonding together invented culture as a defense against female nature. Sky cult was the most sophisticated step in this process. For its switch of the creative locus from earth to sky is a shift from belly magic to head magic. And from this defensive head magic has come the spectacular glory of male civilization, which has lifted woman with it. The very language logic modern woman uses to assail patriarchal culture were the invention of men. Now, who here can tell me what they think this writer is trying to suggest? So, Mr. Professor Gleason asked the class, like, what do you think the author was trying to say by that? And, like, a bunch of people raised their hands, and he picks out Riley. Let me tell you something, I can't fucking stand when teachers do that. Like, I don't really care about the aspect of like, oh, well, you should be paying attention. First and foremost, I don't want to be here. Like, that's how I was in high school. Like, I don't want to be here. Se and I wasn't there a lot of the time. <laughs> Second of all, um, there's this thing called social anxiety and situations like that will ruin someone's entire day. So like, maybe don't pick on somebody who is actively trying not to speak out loud. But Riley's like, well, I think he's trying to say that women think with their instincts and men think with their brains and that, like, women live in men's world. You know, like, it's not the other way around. And Professor, um, fuck. Professor Gleason. Um, he's like, well, what made you think the author was a man? He reveals that the author was a woman. Okay, pick me. Um... But, yeah, just embarrassing her in front of the whole class. Fucking asshole. Um, after class, we see that another one of the sorority sisters, Chris, is out with a petition 
asking people to sign it. Um, she wants Professor Gleason fired. And you know what, Chris? Me too. She ends up meeting up with Marty and Riley, and they're walking together. And she's talking about how, apparently, she is having people sign this petition because she had Gleason's class. And she challenged him, and she asked, why are all the authors white men? And apparently, he got really mad and screamed at her. And now she's trying to get him fired. I fully support this. I will tell y'all now. This is one of the only decisions of Chris's I support throughout this entire film. Because, <laughs> Lord, Chris. Um, Chris is like an activist girly. So, like, she's definitely, like, you know, fighting for women's rights, fighting for all the right things. But, like, I feel like she just has the wrong, like, approach. <laughs> But she's gotten, like, 50-some people to sign this petition, so, like, it's looking good for her. We also find out that Chris had the bust of Calvin, the, um, the founder of the university, removed. She had a petition signed to remove it. Basically, the guy was a shitbag and shouldn't be honored. So good for her. Riley has to go to work at the coffee shop. And Chris and Marty come with her. And they're kind of talking in the coffee shop. And Marty's like, why do you care so much about this? And Chris is like, um, because I need to take him out. He's part of the problem. And Riley's kind of staying uninvolved. And Chris is really annoyed because these girls haven't signed the petition yet. And Chris turns to Riley and she goes... You of all people should want to sign this. Knowing what happened to Riley, um, fuck you, Chris. Fuck you for real. Because who are you to make that decision? Who the hell are you to make that decision for her? How she should feel? Ugh. Disgusting. Um, but... Then, Kewen Landon, who steps in, he's been overhearing, and he goes, I'll sign it. Um, Riley's kind of, like, looking at him, like, I think she kind of thinks he's cute. But, um... <laughs> they have a little bit of, like, a flirty conversation or whatever, and... He walks out the door. I think we find out that he's a pledge for this fraternity. Um, But they're, like, smiling at each other as he's walking out. And as he walks out, this, like, obvious frat bro walks in. And Riley's face completely drops. I think it's pretty obvious to tell what is coming here. And I know I put a warning in the um, the description for this episode, but I just very much want to prepare you. Riley was raped. That's that's what happened here. I'm not gonna like. I haven't mentioned it yet. That was my mistake. But I don't want to do this like build up and then like have it be like a reveal because like that's not cool. So, if that's something that you can't handle, um, I totally understand. 
and that's fair that's valid but you may want to hop off here this frat bro comes up to the counter and he's like hey do you hear brian's gonna be back in town he wants to meet the new pledges and riley is like she can't really even say anything and chris is like riley should be in or um Brian should be in jail for what he did to Riley, actually. And, um, this boy says something to the degree of, like, um, you should, like, we're going skiing and we're bringing some girls with us. Don't worry. It'll be consensual. Peg. Um, Chris gets me again because Chris throws her coffee all over him. And she's a legend for that. And he just leaves. Um, Chris and Marty are kind of like at this point, like, ooh, like we should maybe pull out of this talent show. Cause it's at his frat. Um basically we find out that multiple sororities have pulled out of the talent show and decided not to go because of all of the history at this fraternity, which we get the idea this fraternity is notorious for assaulting women. Great. Um, but this is also a very, very good topic of conversation, too, because this really happens. See Brock Turner. That kid is still living his life on the streets. Like, nothing happened to him for that. See one of our Supreme Court justices, I believe. Like, you know, like, it's just, like, ridiculous how someone can do something so monstrous and disgusting and then be hailed as, like, a champion. And that's kind of what Brian is. Like, he's kind of, like, the face of the fraternity, it looks like. But Riley tells them, like, no, I'll be fine. Like, I'm good. We're not pulling out. We get the vibe that they have something really, really special planned for this talent show, okay? Yeah. So later that night, they're at the frat house. And, um... Marty, Chris, and Jesse, who I haven't introduced yet. We saw her in the movie, but her scene was, like, very minimal and... Not really, like, I kind of skipped over it on accident. But, like, also nothing really happened. So, oh, well. Um, Jesse is, like, kind of the dumb girl. <laughs> um, but they all pose for a picture and whatnot. We also meet Marty's boyfriend, Nate. And these two are so cute. Like, Marty's, like, sitting on his lap. And they're, like, cuddling. Like, they're they're a cute couple. But, like, when we get into this scene, we started off with, I think, Marty asking Chris if women say dump. And Chris is like, yeah, I I think they do. Like, I mean, how many other words are there to refer to shit? (laughs) It's like, okay, this is so interesting. (laughs) But they're getting ready, and they are waiting for Helena, who is nowhere to be found. So Riley decides she's going to go look for her. 
and she's walking around the frat house and she walks down this hallway and there's a giant portrait of Brian on the wall. Disgusting! And she's staring at it like horrified. Rightfully so. Like he's a fucking disgusting pig. Um. But then she hears like some chanting. She walks towards the door it's coming from. And she opens it. And there's, like, this hazing ritual where, like, the frat bros <laughs> are putting, like, this black goo on these boys' heads, the Pledge's heads, and there is a bust in the center of the room. Um, and black goo dripping from its eyes. So, um... Riley quickly exits, and then she keeps looking for Helena, and she actually finds Helena in a room with a frat bro, and it seems like he is trying to take advantage of her. Riley's judging the situation, and Helena does not look into it at all, so Riley opens the door, and she's like, hey, Helena, we've been looking for you. This dude goes... You found her. Give us some privacy. And Riley just looks at Helena and goes, Do you want me to leave? Helena doesn't say anything. She's like, okay, you can get out. And he's like, you bitches are all the fucking same. And then he proceeds to tell Riley, Brian, there's no way Brian did to you what you said he did. How would you know? How would you know? Have you fucked him? Or is it because he has no dick? Pig. Like, ugh. That's one thing I will say is Sophia does a really good job at implementing, like, the true, like, misogyny that women experience just for existing, and just for saying no. And Riley's like, girl, are you okay? And Helena looks up at her and asks the most terrifying question possible. The vodka and tequila mix. (laughs) No! Baby, no, they don't! They don't mix well at all! Which is exactly why in the next scene your head is in the toilet. Do vodka and tequila mix. I could kill her. Although I'm kind of now just realizing that maybe this frat bro may have like lied to her and been like, yeah, vodka and tequila mix good. So now I feel kind of bad. Like I was under the impression maybe she had drank before, but like, I don't know. Yeah, but she is not going to be able to sing tonight. So Riley calls her an Uber And Helena's like, tell the girls I'm sorry. So Riley comes back into the room with the girls. And she has um, Helena's outfit. And she's like, Helena ate something bad. She's not feeling good. And the girls are kind of like, okay, sure. (laughs) Um, But then Marty is like, well, maybe this is just a sign we shouldn't sing. And Chris is like, no. And Riley automatically gets it. 
Chris wants her to sing. Don't make me sing. And Riley's like, um, absolutely not. Brian's here. Like, I'm not going out and doing that in front of him. And Chris is like, look, you coach does. You know the choreography. You can sing. Like, you have to do it. And she goes like, Jesse, back me up here. Jesse is, like, staring off. And she looks up. <laughs> and Jesse goes, I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. What do I say? <laughs> um, Chris then proceeds to tell Riley that she can't just sit on the sidelines forever. Who are you to make that decision, though? This, I'm gonna take this moment to get into my core issue with Chris, okay? Chris is like an activist. That's cool. You should definitely fight for equal rights. You should fight against misogyny and oppression and all of that. And those are like details I really admire about her. The problem I have with Chris is the fact that she is asserting herself in a situation that really has nothing to do with her. You did not experience what Riley did. Riley experienced what Riley did. So her reaction to it is valid. Her healing time may take longer than you think it should. But, like, the fucked up part, too, is, like, this is the one issue I have with Sophie's um, writing here, okay? Is because I think throughout this movie, we're supposed, like, Chris is supposed to be the tough love friend. And be a bit abrasive, but, like, she has the best interest in heart. But she's really mean. Like, she's not, like, really even giving Riley the chance to be like, Hey, girl, I'm not ready to do this yet. But they all go out on stage. And Riley sees Brian in the crowd, and she freaks out. Um, Landon's also in the crowd. And... The girls begin to do their routine, okay? And at first they're singing this song like up up in the frat house, um, something, something. We're gonna have sex. I don't know. But um, okay, wait. Up in the frat house, me and you, and you know what I'm there to do. We're drinking and kissing. What comes next? You and I have S-C-X. I didn't know. Ho, ho, ho. I didn't know. Yes, up in the frat house, one true fact. And that is that I got attacked. Up in the frat house, shit went down. And I'm telling everyone in town I didn't lead you on for goodness sake I couldn't have cause I wasn't awake There's a little bit of it. Um, but basically, Riley obviously steps out and she sings that well, last part. She's like saying what happened. They're making They're like, sing. They all sing together. They're sure dancing. The girls in the crowd are the loving it. Eating it up. Brian looks terrified. And all of the dudes are booing them and throwing shit at them but like this performance was slay okay because like that takes balls and i actually really like this you know like 
even though I don't agree with the approach Chris took and kind of being like, you should want to do this out of all people. Like, you should do this because, like, he's here and you can stand up to him. Like, I do like that Riley got to do this because I feel like this was kind of a release for our girl. But they finish their performance and they run out. They all run out of the frat house and they're walking home. They're, like, all hyped up. And we hear, hey, Riley. And Riley turns around and Landon is standing there and she comes over to talk to him. And he's like, um, hey, I really like what you did in there. I thought it was super cool. That takes a lot of balls. And I thought it was awesome. I'm like, oh, you're such a king. Like, you're such a good man. Like, ugh. um... But then Riley asks him, like, why now? Like, why are you into me now? Because, like, you came into my coffee shop all the time and never said anything to me. And Landon is kind of like, well, you know, I'm shy. And it's like, oh! <laughs> um, the girls are going out, though. And Landon is invited. But, like, um, he says, no, I should probably get back. Because he's, I think he, like, brought the DJ equipment or something. And they're all like, okay. And they go to leave. But then Landon turns around and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. They can deal with that stuff. I, I'm going to come out. So they go out and they're, like, you know, about to go out. And they're like, um, Helena, did she get home Okay. She drunk texted, so she's good. It was some straight gibberish. <laughs> but all of them are, like, walking down the street, and it's, like, Chris is up there, Jess is up, Jesse's up there, Marty's with Nate, and Riley is in the back kind of walking with Landon, and it's really cute. He's telling, like, these really, really heinous Santa puns, but, like, if it's one thing about me, I love a pun. Like, I love a good pun. I really do. So I was feeling Landon here, and I was definitely like, yeah, Riley, get that. She also invites Landon to their orphan dinner. They had discussed this earlier, and it's, like, actually a really cute idea. Um, It's basically for the kids, like, during the holidays who don't go home or, like, have a family to go see. Ooh! Or have a family to go see they can come and have dinner at the sorority with them. And I think that's a really cute idea. That's one detail I should mention from that scene I forgot to say, is that um, Jesse wasn't sure if it should be called the Orphan's Dinner because both of Riley's parents have passed away. So that's just, like, another added layer to, like, what's going on with Riley's character. During this walk, we hear Marty say... I'm wearing a thong and some underwear. And Jesse goes, I'm not wearing anything. Queen. Queen shit. Um, back at the sorority house, Helena's packing. And she goes to throw up. But while she throws up, um, she receives a text message. She doesn't notice it, though. But she gets another one when she comes back into the room. And the messages say, our time is near. It has begun. 
And it's from the same account, too, that was messaging Lindsay, the Calvin account with the bust as the profile picture. She hears a noise outside of the room. And she opens the door and she peeks her head out like, who there? <laughs> um, but as she closes the door again, we can see a hooded figure behind her. Not cool. The next morning, Riley gets a text message from Una from earlier in the film. And she asks if she's heard from Lindsay. Um, as she wakes up, Fran comes into the room and she's like, hey, um, I'm about to go out of town. So can you watch Claudette? Like, make sure she's good. And Riley's like, yeah, I got you. Fran's like, cool. Okay, good. So Nate comes over and he's picking up Marty, Chris, and Riley and they're going to get a tree. Fran is packing and getting ready to go. I think she's going to her sister's. Um... And as she's, like, getting ready, she hears Claudette. And she's like, Claudette, where are you? Are you okay? And she's, like, looking for her. And she makes some comment, like, um, if you don't come out, I'm never feeding you again. And she looks for her in the closet and in this one room. And we see Claudette come from the hallway into the, um... Like, I guess foyer? I don't know. Like, we see her come into frame. And Fran comes back and she goes, there you are, and goes to pick up Claudette. And as she's walking towards Claudette, the camera zooms in and a hooded figure comes up behind her and wraps a strand of lights around her neck and starts to choke her. I love this kill because it's very reminiscent of that kill in Exorcist 3 and the hospital. Um, and that kill is so scary to me. It's so, it's so, like, well done. There's not much to it, but it's very scary. And I like that they put that reference in here. So, the group is looking for trees. And Riley actually gets a message herself from this Calvin account. And it says, Riley and her friends are going to have fun tonight. And she texts back and she asks if it's Landon. And the account replies, keep on guessing, sweetheart. Maybe you'll get it right. Ooh. Um, just then her phone rings. And she answers the phone. It's unknown ID too. And the sound is like this really shitty staticky feedback. And you hear, like, a faint voice. And then you hear, Hello, Riley? It's Miss Rittenhouse. Helen, this mom. So, like, okay, that's a cute little callback to, like, the phone calls we got in the original movie. I like it. Um, I like that they put it in there. I feel like that's one thing this movie's kind of lacking is the phone calls. So at least they have a little nod to it. But, yeah, so Riley finds out that Helena did not go home. And now she's concerned. Um, so they get home. And they start to set the tree up. And Riley's like looking around for Helena. She tries calling her. She has an answer. And she talks to the, to like the group. And she's like, 
how on this mom called and she's not home? And they're all kind of blowing it off. Like, oh, it was probably a delay. Or, like, you know her. She probably went and did something. Like, you know, like, they're really not hearing it. And Riley's, like, irritated. So she walks out. And she's walking down the street. And we pan away from her toward the house. And we see Fran's dead body, like, lying up on the balcony. And it's definitely a clear reference to Claire being in the window. I I also really love that. I love the references in here. I do. I think they're cute. Um, she goes into the campus security office and she runs into Landon. She's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I could ask you the same, girl. <laughs> um, and Riley asks, like, were you texting me the other night? Like on this social media app, Landon tells her he doesn't have social media. And even though that's fair, I am going to count this a bit of a red flag. (laughs) Like, if we're, like, trying to figure out who the killer is, this is definitely a red flag. Um, Because I don't know if you've noticed at this point, there's been no mention of a Billy. Alright. So... Fran ends up going in and talking to campus security, and it's also a reference, you could say, but unfortunately it's more of a reference to real life, because she brings up the fact that Helen is missing and she's worried, and this campus security guard is kind of just like, she probably ran off with a boyfriend. Like, just say you don't want to do your job. Just just say you don't want to do your job. Um, she's very persistent, though, and he ends up actually going to the fraternity house, um, where they had the talent show, and he, like, knocks on the door, and no one answers, and he just goes, well, not much I can do, but I'm sure she's fine. Do you want to ride home? And Riley's like, um, no, I'm good. Thanks for absolutely fucking nothing. And campus security gets in his car and drives away. Before she leaves, though, Professor Gleason shows up. He's like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, I'm looking for Helena. He goes, I'm sure she's fine. He drops a bunch of his papers. And among these papers, there's a list of, like, a bunch of sorority girls. Mmm... Professor Gleason also tells her, Chris should remove the video. And Riley goes, What video? What video is it? That would be the video of the performance from the other night. That video. It's gained a lot of views and a lot of reactions. So back at the house, um... Marty, Nate, Chris, and Jesse are all hanging out. And Jesse wants to play this cute game. And she's like, um, what are your three favorite animals? Marty, you go first. And Marty says, okay, I guess like an owl, a bunny, and an ant. It's a very interesting choice. And also ants are insects. But I'll let it slide because her explanation is fair. And I really like it because Marty asks her why. What's the game? And Jesse's like, 
Basically, the owl is how you see yourself. The bunny is what you look for in a, rom- a romantic partner. And Marty goes, not today, apparently, because Nate's kind of acting like a dick. That's not like him. And the third one is what you look for in friends. And they're like, okay, so why an aunt? And Marty says, actually, I'm just going to let her tell you because I like it. I don't know. I guess they're strong and they're all kind of like one unit. Um, And you can't kill an ant because they're all an extension of the others. That's really poetic. It's like a cute little hint as to the dynamic between these girls. Riley storms into the room like, Chris, what the fuck? And Chris is like, what? And she's like, the video? And Chris is like, oh yeah, it has hella views. Like, it's popping. And Riley's like, did you watch it? And Chris is like, um, I was there. Riley plays back this video for her. And you can hear Riley at the end saying, that's the last time Brian will rape another girl. Directly calling him out and exposing that fact to the entire world. And Chris is like, I'll just edit that part out. (sighs) Jesse decides she's going to go and look for Christmas lights. Because when they fight, it stresses her out. Um... And Chris is, like, really going in. Like, I thought the whole point of fighting frat boy rape culture was to call them out. And again, Chris, this is not your battle to fight. This was not your experience. Don't tell her how to react and how to feel. But Riley just loses it. And she's like, look, I can't deal with this. Like, um, I'm getting cornered by Professor Gelson. Professor Gelson, not Gleason. Um, I'm getting cornered by Professor Gelson. Helen is missing. I'm getting weird text messages, and she keeps going. But then Helen, but then Marty and Chris are like, "Wait, wait, hold on. You're getting weird messages." And she's like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Us too." They pretty much come to the assumption that. Gelson wants the petition that Chris is having people sign dropped. And that they're, like, threatening the girls and, like, coming after them in order to get Chris to drop the petition. So upstairs in the attic, I think it's the attic, um, Jessie is looking for Christmas lights. And she opens up this trunk and she finds a string. Or strand. And she plugs them in and they don't work. And she goes... Do Christmas lights expire? <laughs> I love this girl. I really do. Um, She puts the dead ones back. And she goes to plug in the other ones. And we kind of zoom in a little bit. And this is really cool, actually. The lights turn on. And we see one of the robed figures crouched right next to her. And Jesse screams. Back downstairs... Riley and Chris are still arguing, and Riley's like, this is all because of your stupid song. And Chris is like, my song? We did that for you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And the movie is not going to convince me that you did. Um, they're going at it, and then all of a sudden, here comes Nate. Hello, welcome to the party. And Nate is pissed, and he's like, 
how did you expect them to react when you called them all out like that? Like, what what if, like, what if some frat guys got on stage and was like, oh, girl, girls are all bitches and whores. And Marty's like, who even are you? What is this? They end up promptly throwing his ass out the front door. Something is up with Nate. So just then, Chris gets a text message. And it says, I will bring you to your knees. Marty gets a message that says, and you will beg for mercy. So, um, Chris replies back and Riley's like, what did you say? And Chris says something about like, I told him to come bite my ass and throw me on my mom's panini press or something like that. All of a sudden, something hits the lamp behind them and it just explodes. And they're like, what the fuck? A hooded figure comes out with a fucking bow and arrow. Um, she, the, like, I, I don't think Billy has ever touched a bow and arrow. This is some different shit. This, oh my this is in different areas. What the But one of the arrows graces Marty's leg and she falls on Chris and they all run and they go and they end up hiding in this closet. Marty is, like, pretty injured, and they're all kind of collecting themselves, and they're like, what the fuck was that? So in this closet, Marty's bleeding pretty bad, and none of them have their phones. And Chris is like, Riley, we need a phone. I'm gonna tend to Marty's wounds. You go down and get the phone, so we can call 911 and warn the other girls to stay away from the house. If you're such an activist, bitch, be active. Go down there and get the phone. Go down there and get the phone, Chris. Go down there and get the phone. But she doesn't. And let me tell you, Riley's like a bad bitch because she's like, I need a weapon. There's nothing in here. Let me just um bust this mop handle over my knee and use it as a fucking stake. Like, okay, Buffy. So Riley sneaks downstairs, and she's, like, kind of hiding out from the killer and whatnot. And back in the closet, the girls are like, oh my god, Jessie. Where's Jessie? Like, we need to make sure she's okay. And Marty's like, girl, I can't go anywhere. And Chris is like, alright, I'll do it. So, um, Chris leaves the closet And she goes up into, I think, the attic again. And she's coming up, and she sees Jessie. And there's Christmas lights wrapped around her. And she slowly approaches her, and she spins her around. And we don't really see, because it's PG-13, but it definitely looks like something is lodged into Jessie's head. And she's dead. This really bums me out. This really bummed. I love Jessie. I feel like, I feel like she was the one we got least of out of this group, and I love her. She was so cute. Riley is in the living room hiding behind this couch, and all of a sudden, Nate walks in, and he's like, Riley, what are you doing down there? He came back because he doesn't know what came over him, but he wanted to come back and apologize to Marty. Unfortunately, Nate is talking at a normal volume. 
you know, he's using a bit of an outside voice, actually, maybe. <laughs> um, and Riley's like, shut up, shut up, shh. And she's finally like, there's a killer in the house. Marty's hurt. I'm like, why would you say that? Um, Nate tosses his keys towards her, but they don't really make it over to her. And he's like, get in the car. And he's like, come out here and face me. Come out here and face me. Pop arrow through the fucking cheek. Damn. The hooded figure comes up to Riley and like shoves her into the wall. And he's like kind of like holding her there, like intimidating her. And it's really creepy because he notices they're under the mistletoe. So then with his mask on, he starts to like kiss her. And it's just really uncomfortable, especially with what Riley has experienced. Like it just, it doesn't sit right with me. Riley sees a hatchet on the floor and she goes to die for it. But he trips her. And he gets on top of her and he's like choking her out essentially, I think. And she's like fighting. Well, Nate's keys are right next to her. And guess what she does? She takes those motherfucking keys and she jabs them into his jugular. And he's dead. Go Riley! Marty and Chris meet up with her and they all hug. Riley's like, we need to get Jesse. And Chris is like, no, girl. They hear someone approaching and they all start to like run away. And when they're running from him, they get to like the foyer by the front door and they notice there's another one there. And at this point, Marty picks up a hatchet off the floor and she's like, you made your point. Now leave. And she starts to like approach him. And the girls are like, Marty, get back here. Marty, get back here. Marty? And Marty yells at them to run. And she goes to swing at um, the hooded figure. And he actually ends up getting the jump on her. And he stabs her really good. And this makes me really sad. Um, But then um, Chris and Riley run out of the room. And the hooded figure goes to follow them. Marty grips onto his leg and she's hugging it as tight as possible. Like, leave them alone. Like, no, I'm not going to let you hurt them. And he kicks her in the fucking face and sends her flying across the floor. Riley and Chris run into the kitchen. Chris grabs up a knife and they hide behind the counter. At the campus security office, the security guard gets a phone call that there was an attack in the sorority house. And he's like, oh, let me do my job. And he throws on his coat and he hops in his car and we see him drive off. Um, They try to make their way out stealthily. The killer has walked through the kitchen at this point. And while they think they're getting past him, he jumps off the counter. He grabs Chris and he slams her face into the counter. And they get into a scuffle. Eventually she stabs him through the head and he falls to the floor. We see campus security is coming up to the door. But when he opens it, it's a completely different sorority. And it's Una's sorority. And guess what she is doing? Stabbing the fuck out of a hooded figure. And the officer's like, what the hell? 
Campus security is stabbed from behind. He's done. He was dispatched and he was dispatched. Maybe you should have did your job earlier, bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, the lights in the sorority come back on and Riley and Chris look over each other and realize they don't have blood on them. They have this black shit that was, that looks like the stuff that was on the bus from earlier. Riley takes off the killer's mask and sees his pupils are huge. Like, his eyes are pretty much all black. And there's, like, a black goo circle on his head. (laughs) His blood is black. And we have a supernatural element in this one. I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to say, this is where I start to deviate. This is where I start to kind of um, fall off and lose interest a little bit. The supernatural element kind of threw me off. I'll get more into detail in my final thoughts. So at this point, um, Chris is like, I'm going to get Nate's keys. Okay, just stay here. She goes out into the foyer where um, the body with the key in the neck is, along with poor Marty. She's officially dead. Um, and the girl, or the girl, Chris grabs the keys and whatnot. Someone enters the room behind her, one of the hooded figures, and they attack her. And Chris screams for help. And she's like, got the upper hand. She's like on top of the hooded figure, like with a knife, and he's holding her arms away but he ends up gaining the upper hand and flips her over and he's like choking her out and Chris isn't looking good but then Miss Riley comes up and throws a plastic bag over his head and starts suffocating him a la Claire and Black Christmas another reference like the references in this oh love it mm. so they get the keys and they bail they run out and Chris is having a really hard time getting the door open and Riley's like, open the door, bitch, because we see um, some the hooded figure come out of the house drawing the bow and arrow. They're able to hop in the car just in time and the arrow like pierces the door. But as they're driving, Riley's kind of like giving Chris the rundown. Like I, when we were at the frat house, I saw a bunch of pledges like, They were getting this black shit put on their head. It's like some sort of a ritual. Like, all of these girls go missing and get attacked, and it all seems like it traces back to the fraternity. And Chris is having a really hard time believing the black goo shit. Um, And she's like, what are you talking about? And Riley tells her, like, I need your help. Like, be the distraction. Like, you distract the frat, the frat bros, and I will go in and destroy the bust. And Chris is like, are you kidding me? I'm not going in there. Like, we're going to the police. And Riley's like, no, like, they're not going to believe us. Like, there's three dead people at our house right now. Like, they're not going to believe us. You know, like, it's too far-fetched. And she goes, you don't even believe me. 
and Chris can't respond. But then Riley's like, pull over. And Chris is like, what? And Riley goes, pull over! So Chris pulls over and Riley gets out and she walks at the rest of the way. Mind you, back at the house, she picked up this shovel to defend herself and she's still holding it. It's like a snow shovel, not like the shovel girl. Not like that. Um, But Chris eventually comes up to the sorority that the campus security guard went to. And all of these girls hop in her car and they're like, go to the police. Go to the police. And we see that one of the hooded figures is standing behind the car with a bow and arrow. Where are they getting all these fucking bow and arrows? Um, but yeah, Chris, we see her place her hand on the gear shift. And then we cut to Riley. And Riley is walking down the street with this shovel. And she ends up running into Landon. Like, she's ready to swing at first until she realizes it's him. And he's like, hey, I was just coming to your orphan's dinner. And it's like, canceled, bro. (laughs) Canceled. But she's not really answering him. She's very stoic. And he's like, how can I help you? And she's like, you really want to help me? So Landon goes into the fraternity and he starts cussing everybody out. (laughs) he's like being rambunctious he's causing a scene he's basically he's basically trying to draw attention so that Riley can sneak in this room and destroy the bust at one point they're like what do you want dude and he goes I I want you to suck a fat fart because you just got Zeta (laughs) go off king so Landon is surrounded by these frat bros and they're like you can join our friend He starts to hear like a ringing and then he grabs his head and starts like groaning in pain. And this hooded figure approaches and goes, that, he goes, that's just the founder drawing out your alpha. The most disgusting possible scent. Like, oh, he's just drawing out your alpha, bro. God, men are so tiring. Riley's making her way to find the bust. And she hears someone screaming, Help me! Help me! So she follows the voice. And Helena is, like, tied up in this room. And she's like, Oh my god! Like, there you are, bitch! We've been looking for you! Your mom called! Um, (laughs) So she unties her and Helena's like, Thank you, Riley. I'd be here forever if it wasn't for you. And we see a hooded figure approach behind her. And Helena cracks a smile. And this bro just smacks her over the head. And we hear him say to um, Helena, nice work, sweetie. In that voice. <laughs> um. So, pick me. <laughs> we gotta pick me. <laughs> Plot twist. She's a pick me. <laughs> Yikes! Riley begins to come to, and she's like tied up in front of the bust. I don't know if she's tied up actually, but she's sat down in front of the bust. Um, they're all doing this really creepy chant, and then we find out that Professor Gelson is behind this. We also notice that Landon has the black goo symbol drawn on his head. And he is 
also possessed, it seems like. And Professor Gelsing gives like a monologue. I'm just going to include the sound clip in here because it's a lot, but I still want to include it. You see, when your friend, Miss Waterson, had the founder's statue removed and brought here, the boys discovered something magical hidden inside. Towards the end of his life, Hawthorne foresaw the threat posed by women. So he took precautions in case they strayed too far out of line. A master of the dark arts, he left instructions on how to create an army of young men to take our power back. You're all insane. No, no, not insane, Miss Stone. Simply men. Tired of seeing ourselves falsely accused, our livelihoods threatened, marginalized and belittled, reduced to spectators in our own lives. Upon graduation, our army will venture into courtrooms, boardrooms, and the halls of Congress to set the world right. It was really very simple. A hazing ritual, if you will. We read the incantation inside the bust, and the spirit of Calvin Hawthorne filled the pledges, possessing them with supernatural strength and drive. All we had to do was name the women who had stepped out of line, and these boys took care of the rest. So it's an incel army. Woo! We love to hear it. We absolutely love to hear it. Um, there's no power for you to take back because y'all literally can do anything and get away with it. Like, th that's what's crazy is I love... This is actually a really terrifying villain monologue um, because it's real and it's true. These men really will be in courtrooms after doing heinous shit and getting away with it. They will be in power after doing heinous shit and getting away with it. We see it all the time, every single day, and it's fucking tiring. Okay? So yeah, this is a really effective and scary monologue, at least to me. I mean, you know, some men, even maybe some women, if like a Helena may watch this and be like, well, like, I feel like it's like, you know, being mean to men. And it's like, no, no, this is, this is, these are all things being said that are true. And a lot of internet men should watch that. But then Helena comes up and she's like, this is your last chance, right? We can make things right. Things have gotten like so crazy. <laughs> Bitch, shut up. Shut up. If you want to spend the rest of your life in a kitchen, that's on you. But, like, maybe Riley has goals for herself. And Riley's like, bitch, fuck you. You're a traitor. Like, how could you? Um, I also want to point out, I neglected to mention, we see that, like, Fran's Diva Cup and some other things that belong to the sorority sisters are sitting on this table in the room. So these were, like, the offerings, I guess, for the girls. Helena tells her, like, you can still be a good woman. Or fucking grody-ass Brian comes out of the woodwork and he goes, or we can bring you to your knees. Fucking dick. She tries to get away and she gets grabbed up. And Brian's like, fine. You don't want to, like, you don't want to submit to us? Like, let's remind you of your power, of our power. 
One of the hooded figures walks in, and he walks toward Riley, but he walks directly past her and right up to Helena. And Helena's like, baby, what's going on? Wait, what? We notice that Helena's necklace with her name on it is chilling on the table with all the offerings. And she's like, but I did everything right. And they're like, it's for the cause, babe. This hooded figure just snaps the fuck out of her neck. And Riley's like, damn, like, that would really suck if you weren't fake. Um, and they're like, yeah, so either you can bow to Calvin Hawthorne or face the consequence. And she goes, I'll bow. And she goes, she gets down on her knees and everything. She's down on her knees, and Brian is like, yeah, remember how you tried to ruin me? Remember how you tried to ruin my life? But Riley has her eyes on this hair clip that belonged to her sitting on the table. And she jumps up and runs for it. And she goes, you ruined everything. And she slashes his face with it. And she tells him that one day, a girl's gonna tell people what he did, and they'll believe her. Um... She's quickly stopped, and the hooded figure grabs her up by her neck and starts strangling her. To which Professor Galson goes, See no evil, boys. They all pull their hoods up, and they turn around and look away. I don't know why. I guess maybe because, like, they can't admit to seeing a murder. But, like, that's my best guess. Um, it's not looking good for Miss Riley, and she's fighting, but she is losing... All of a sudden, the hooded figure is pierced with an arrow. And we pan back and see Miss Chris standing there with a bow and arrow. And she goes, you mess with the wrong sisters. She's accosted by these other sorority girls. They all have weapons. One of them has a Christmas tree star. Una has come with a fucking menorah. Like, iconic. Um... And they all charge, and it's like Avengers Endgame. They're going at it, tearing each other apart. Chris is, like, beating people with the bow. Riley sees Brian, and she's like, bitch, you're mine. She runs up, and she does the Black Widow, like, jump up and beat you up type of shit. (laughs) She gets tackled to the floor by him and pinned down. And while she's pinned down and, like, trying to fight, she's also having flashbacks to the incident and what he did to her. And I actually really like the way this is done. They don't show anything happening to her. Everything is suggested. But it's kind of like with what happened, a really, really interesting depiction of, like, taking power over something bad that happened to you, taking control over it, and, you know, it's just, it's very empowering to me. Riley is actually able to get control, and he falls on his ass, and she gets the upper hand and just bonks his head on the fucking little step. Um, and she gets up on there and she grabs the podium and lifts it up. And Professor Gelson is like, no, you can't do this. Women are tied to men. Riley's like, bitch, fuck you. She slams this bus down on the floor. All of a sudden, the frat bro that's like choking out Chris, like, blanks. And then Chris, like, 
elbows him and knocks him out. So, like, is the black stuff supposed to give you super strength, too? Is that what we're believing? I don't know. I'm I'm a little confused on this. Maybe they're just all, like, they felt the effects of the bust being destroyed. I, I can't tell you. All of a sudden, Chris grabs this lamp, and she's like, Hey, Professor, suck my dick. And she throws it down at his feet, and it explodes, and he comes busts into flames this is so satisfying for me but also chris this is like homicide i'll allow it i don't know if the law will but okay homicide and arson you know protect women we love women landon now is free from the spell and he's actually fighting off these frat dudes this part, um, Riley stops Chris and goes, Chris, you were right. You were right. I need to fight. I needed to fight. That's what I needed to do. And Chris is like, okay, I love you. Now's not the time for I told you so's, but I told you so. No, you didn't. Like, you did, but you were wrong. <sighs> wow. Um, as the fire starts spreading, the sorority girls all run out, and Landon comes to, and Brian's actually following them, screaming, like, please, I've changed, we can work this out, and they shut the door on him, and they're holding it shut as these fucking assholes are burning alive. So they're holding the door and Landon's like, that was not me. I was possessed. And Riley's like, um, yeah, now not the time for it, though. They actually end up blocking the door off with two oars. So it's like jammed. And then all of them run outside and they just watch as the house burns. And we fade out on Riley's face as the house burns down. And she looks satisfied. And that's the end. That's the end of 2019 Black Christmas. Alright, so, as I said from the top, I did not like this movie when I first watched it. I actually really was angry after I watched it. But after this second watch, I can confidently say this isn't a bad movie at all. Did they make some choices I don't agree with? Absolutely. But there were things I really liked. First and foremost, I loved the callback references. You know, I think like things like um, Fran being propped up on the balcony, looking like Claire, the plastic bag, Claudette. Like there were a lot of cute callbacks to the original movie where like, if the original movie is near and dear to your heart like that, like, even though this isn't exactly the same as the original, um, at all, actually, um, there's still little details in there that can make you remember it and be like, hey, that's cool. I know what that means. <laughs> um, they took a very different approach here, you know, with the story and that's you know fine but what i really respect 
is the story being told through Riley's character. We see this girl who has went through a really traumatic event and hasn't fully healed yet. I mean, and that's fair. And just how the world around her kind of reacts and treats her. And it's messed up because we see even her friend, like, is putting her out of her comfort zone and kind of forcing her to do something she doesn't want to do. You know, um, I feel like the stuff with her and Brian was played very well. You know, he was a threatening figure and looking at him terrifies me. He reminds me of a classic Brock Turner. One of those types. I also feel like they did a really good job at kind of painting a picture of like, the incel and like what these men's logic is like and how disgusting it is the idea that like men really believe that women can't survive without them when men are too dumb to realize that they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for women so how about that Let's get into my likes for this movie. Um, as I said already, I love the references. I think they're so fun. Um, I really love the performances in this movie, specifically from Imogen Poots and Lily Donahue. Um, I just think that Marty was such, like, a cool character because I felt like she was like the unifying aspect like she seemed like such a sweet girl and i feel like lily definitely played off this vibe of someone who's like kind of like the mother friend like i know her (laughs) and imogen like imogen's a wonderful actress we already know this but the way she conveys like all of what riley's going through really gets to me it's just something is so real and so raw about it that like the moment you see her waking up in that bedroom you're a little protective of her feelings like you don't want her to, you know she's been through something and you're like i just want her to be okay and i feel like it wouldn't be possible to feel that if it wasn't for this excellent performance I also really liked the way they kind of tied it in with, like, the sisterhood unity. Like, women sticking together to fight, like, this toxic masculinity that is so prevalent in today's society. We see it all the time, and we definitely have character or characters. <laughs> Jesus Christ, life is a movie. Um, we definitely do have people like Helena who, you know, as much as they are a woman really just value men's opinion of them so much that they stoop as low to like betray their own gender i mean not to this extent normally but still it's absolutely fucked up and with professor gelson he was scary because men like him exist and men like him are powerful and men like him don't face the repercussions of their actions And while it's disgusting, I love how they did it. I do. I think that the, like, Helena is very well executed as the pick-me. When it comes to the end, she very much comes off as somebody 
who wants to just be the housewife and whatnot and doesn't want to go out and do anything. And that's fine for you. Let other women choose how independent or dependent they want to be. And honestly, shout out to Carrie Elwes for your performance because like, wow, (laughs) this guy was a monster and I hated him from the moment I saw him. I also believed him, which scared, like, Carrie, Carrie, how do you feel about women, bro? Let me know, because I'm a little scared. You were a little too convincing. I don't know. Um, even the guy who played Brian, who is a Mr. Ryan McIntyre, doesn't seem like he really has many credits, but, like, I feel like he was really scary in this movie. Like, he had a very menacing scowl and look that just put me at a level of unease and discomfort automatically. So the performances are excellent. I do... I'm not sure if I said this in the last episode, but one of the complaints I had about this movie is it didn't feel Christmassy, and I just have to eat my words and take it back, because, like, they do a lot of, like, Christmas-themed and oriented kills in this one. Like, the icicle, that was fun. Strand of Lights killings, those were fun. I mean, all the killings happened off-screen besides Lindsay, but, like, there were still, like, very cool executions and ideas. I also just love the fucking face-off at the end. I love these girls fighting these men looking like fucking warriors. It was just such a cool visual. I love women. Dislikes. Off the top, um, I'm just gonna say, the supernatural element really lost me. And here's why. Black Christmas 1974 and Black Christmas 2006 are two polar opposite films, okay? They're not even remotely close to the same. They have, like, similar ideas, but everything is different. But one thing is always constant. And that's Billy. You know, like, maybe not even Billy. We don't have confirmation that the killer's name is Billy in the original. But it's a slasher. And while this is still a slasher, I feel like when I hear Black Christmas, I think of a serial killer. And I kind of just felt like the black goo possessed frat boy plot was just not it for me. (laughs) Like, I like the idea of these frat boys who are victimizing girls and then getting away with it being the threat. But I feel like they could have done that without being possessed and it still would have worked. I just, like, I feel like Black Christmas should always involve, like, a single killer stalking sorority girls. Um, another thing, the text messages were whatever, you know, some of them were threatening, some of them were kind of just, like, random statements, but, like, Black Christmas needs to have the phone calls, because the thing is, is the creepy phone calls are what made the original so terrifying. The, the fear you feel in your heart. 
listening to this disturbed fucking individual just speaking gibberish and talking about things no one understands horrifying and i feel like it was a really missed opportunity not to have it in here you know like i get it like we don't really have landlines anymore but like they could be like yeah this is sorority and we keep it just in case of emergencies i don't know they could even get calls on their cell phones one of the elements i dislike the most bear with me chris 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 um wow wow it's absolutely insane because like this should be a character we like this should be a character we root for but it ends up to me almost feeling like a right wing person making fun of a social justice warrior and making fun of an activist and calling them out but then in the end of the movie Riley says she's right and my thing is she was not right I don't like the fact that we spend this entire movie with Riley okay and we know Riley's trauma we know what Riley's been through Riley has had multiple arguments with Chris for pushing her out of her comfort zone, which is an absolutely valid critique. And Chris constantly doubles down, just in the end for Riley to be like, yeah, you were right. It did not feel cathartic to me. It felt anti that. It, it felt icky that in the end we get to find out that this person who's been nothing but pushy and nothing but dismissive of Riley's feelings and honestly apathetic um just for in the end to yeah you were right Chris I don't know that specific element paints a really really nasty message for me and I don't like it what I kind of get the vibe of from that is, like, even if you are uncomfortable with facing something and you're not ready, you should step out of your comfort zone and do it anyway. That does not work for everyone. Okay, it's not that easy for everyone. And that's why it's really annoying that it ends up being like that. I would also just mention it's not a legitimate valid dislike, but this movie initially was going to be rated R, and I really would have liked to see the rated R version and see what some of these kills are. Let's get into my favorite character. Um, this is actually pretty challenging because, again, same thing with um, the last two movies. I'm stuck between two. Because I love Jesse. I love Jesse so much. And I think Jesse's like so funny and so cute. And I would absolutely be her best friend in a heartbeat. I would probably date her in a heartbeat. She's beautiful. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Marty. There was just something about her, like I said earlier, like she was such like the motherly friend and she was such like a powerhouse character to me. Just like I felt her heart through the screen like I felt the love she had for her friends and her sorority sisters and even at one point she's like she says something really cute 
to the girls and she's like, um, I know I hang out with Nate a lot, but I like it best when it's just the four of us. She risks her life to save her sisters because she cares about them so much. And these are just details I really admire about her. And it makes me really sad that she died. But it's, you know, it makes sense. I will say, I would much rather Jesse have been the final girl with Riley and Chris died earlier. Just saying. I'd even take Marty surviving to the end. But I will say, Marty's death was, like, cathartic, I guess, because she was saving her sisters. Alright, let's give this one a rating. I'm gonna tell you guys, I came into this straight expecting to rate this lower than a 5. I'm actually gonna give this one a 6.5. It's not that much higher, I know. But... I don't know. It did not get the best reception, I think. Definitely not. It's sitting at a 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 1.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd, and a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I think it deserves a little better than that. I think I would enjoy this movie so much better if it wasn't called Black Christmas. And I know that sounds stupid, but think of it this way, okay? This was our Black Christmas remake of this like generation and it's gonna be too soon to put out another remake for a very long time and i just feel like there's so much more that could be implemented in the remake like i think they should keep the first person pov i think they should keep billy and i think they should keep the phone calls they could do something fun with that so now that we're at the end of the last Black Christmas remake, I'm going to do some compare and contrast. And I'm kind of starting to think maybe it would have made more sense to do this at the end of the 2006 one. Because there's not a lot to compare 2019 to the other two. But I can still do it. Um, so let's start first. Cinematography. I'm giving this one to the original 1974. Um, I just like the way it's shot. You know, there's a lot of, like, very tense scenes where nothing really happens, but just the image that's being focused on is horrifying. Furthermore, we don't get, like, any shots of Billy in full form. We really only get his eye. And what they do with these shots are so masterful. Um, honorable mention to 2006... Um, just because I kind of like what they do with the lighting. It was very, like, of the time and kind of felt like I was watching the movie and, like, some, like, HD bootleg. But, like, also, I like what they do with the camera in it. You know, I like the shots of Christmas decorations and I like, like, the looming shots on Christmas lights. Like, it's kind of a vibe, you know? Now on the score, um, I'm actually going to give this one to 2006. Um, I like the use of Christmas music throughout this, and like the versions of these songs they choose are effectively like chilling. Uh, I really like the use of that version of Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. It actually is very creepy in that key. So, like, I thought that was really... 
it scared me when I was a kid. And I would hear it on the TV spots and just like have chills. <laughs> I don't know, I think it's great. And they put the Christmas songs, like the cheerful ones, in some questionable places. Like we get We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Um while Billy's mom is fucking his stepdad on the stairs. Just a very interesting choice. So I'm going to give that up to 2006. Um, let's get into kills. This one obviously is going to go to 2006. Um, the kills in the other two versions of this are mostly off screen. And 2006 went balls to the wall with their kills, okay? You have, like, off-screen kills in the first one, except for Claire. Off-screen kills in the 2019 one, except for, um, Lindsay and Marty. And then, all of a sudden, jump to 2006, and there's, like, what? Eight bodies? And you see every kill? Bitches are getting their eyes ripped out of their skulls left and right. People are getting cut up, stabbed, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> That's an outlier. <laughs> if I've ever fucking seen one. Um, performances? I'm giving it to the original 1974. Um, we had a wonderful and captivating performance by Olivia Hussey. Very believable. Very strong, independent, iconic final girl. Gotta give it up to her. She did great. And I just found out that Olivia Hussey and her co-star from Romeo and Juliet are filing a lawsuit against Paramount for making them do child nudity in Romeo and Juliet because they were 15 and 16. And you know what? Good. Good. Um, this is also complemented by performances by Margot Kidder as Barb. Excellent. Like, amazing portrayal of her. I love Barb. And Andrea Martin as Phil, who plays like a very supportive, loving sister to a T. All excellent performances. Also, just like the chemistry between all of them was so authentic and believable. It's, it's kind of hard to beat that. I mean, especially 2006, we had some good performances in 2006, but it kind of felt like all the girls were, like, starring in their own movies, which I actually don't mind. And I do think they do work well together, but just not as well. <laughs> and as far as 2019, like, those performances were also pretty good. I do notice the lack of chemistry between all of them, though. Alright, so now, I'm going to compare specific elements from each movie. And we're going to start with the sorority house. And I think I'm going to give this one to the original as well. I feel so bad for the 2019 one! <laughs> um, I think the setup of this house is really nice. I think that... It makes for like good scares like the attic looks ominous it looks creepy there's a giant fucking meat hook up there for some reason don't know why horrifying though 
Also, it just feels warm. It feels festive. Um, it feels like a home. <laughs> and also, there's booze stashed everywhere. So you'll never go thirsty. I'd say 2019 is next for best houses. I really like it. It, you don't see, like, I mean, yeah, you do see a lot of it, I guess, but it seems, like, a little messy. That's okay. That's authentic. That's real. Um, it just seems a bit roomier. And they also have a really nice attic. I wish, that's another thing. I wish they would have implemented the attic more. The attic is, like, a key part in both movies. So. Um, we are now going to, and these next two are only really gonna... Never mind. I take that back. The next one could include 2019. We'll see what we can do with that. So, House Mother. We have two renditions of Miss Mac. We have Andrea Martins, and then we have the original. I forgot the actress's name. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm gonna go look, though. I'm gonna go look. Marion Waldman. We're doing Andrea Martins, Miss Mac, versus Marion Waldens. I think I'm gonna give it to Andrea Martin. Um, I love what Marianne did with her Miss Mac. I do. I think her being like a drunk, but like obviously still caring about the girls, but also just constantly being Liddy and having booze everywhere. I think that's so funny. I think that's such a great move. But um, I think what Andrea Martin did with her Miss Mac, Miss Mac actually becomes like this cute little humble house mother and you can tell that she genuinely loves and cares about these girls so much. Not Heather. <laughs> but the others, yes. Um, and she's just so like proper and like nice. She doesn't want the girls to swear. I think that's such a cute touch. Like I definitely, I heard rumors that Margot Kidder was going to reprise not reprise, but come back and play Miss Mac. And I think if Margot Kidder came back, they definitely would have taken the drunk route again. And that could have been really iconic. Um, there's really no house mother that we meet in the 2019 one, so it doesn't apply. Drunk! My favorite drunk. And this is going to be between Barb, Lauren, and I'll throw Helena in there. Because she was really drunk. Um, Helena is obviously, like, third place for me. This is so hard, okay? Because I'm going to give it to Barb, okay? Hang on. I'm going to give it to Barb because I feel like the character we get from Barb is more than a drunk. It's somebody who is really, really struggling with something in herself. You know, her mom abandoned plans with her for the holidays, so her family life isn't that great. And she's a character that's actually going through something, and you can see it in her performance. Um, Barb is also just hilarious, and I'm constantly questioning her morals. <laughs> and she makes you feel for her. The reason this is so hard is because I love Lauren. I love Lauren so much. Like, I really emphasize... I don't emphasize. That's not the right word. 
I really just stand her. Like, I love the idea that she, all she is doing is drunk. All she is is a drunk. Like, there's not any depth to her character besides, like, her sister being a bitch and her parents not wanting her home. But, like, um... I just love her vibe of drinking wine, cussing up a storm, beefing with Heather, her little pink pajamas. Like, I just love everything about her. And I love Jan K. Cristolo. So, like, I didn't want to be biased and I wanted to be real. And it's Mark. But... Lauren is like 0.5% behind her for me. Alright. Final girl. This is between Jess, Kelly, and Riley. I know Chris also made it to the end, but Riley is our final girl. Okay. I'm gonna give it to Jess. I am. Um, Jess, like I said, is just a wonderful character. You know, she's headstrong. She knows what she wants. She won't break. She isn't going to let this man intimidate her, even though he's terrifying. And she's like a caring sister. Like she, she's going to bat and she's doing anything she can to keep her sorority sister safe. Even at one point, putting her own self at risk. Also, she had a wonderful story to tell. I loved that we got something so advanced at such a time. Also, Olivia Hussey just put her pussy into that performance. Go, girl. Um, right behind that is going to be Riley. Um, same thing. I love the story that they had to tell about her. I think that we saw a lot of growth in her, even though some of it was forced. And I think that the way they told her story really painted her in a light to be, even though she's going through stuff, she's a strong person. And Chris may be saying, like, you have to fight. You can't just back into a corner. But, like, in my opinion, Riley is fighting. The fact she's here breathing and, like, doing stuff and she's okay, for the most part, that's a lot. And... It's really cool that she could, like, gather the strength to fight against her rapist and take him out. But, uh, but, yeah, I just, I love what they did with her. Last slot is Kelly. Um, Kelly, to me, granted, in the end, I, she fights back. Like, she puts up a fight, and I'm gonna give her that. I like some of the decisions she makes. This bitch is such a boring final girl. <laughs> I, I can't even lie. Like, she she's not necessarily one of the most interesting. Out of the 2006 movie, she was, like, the last one I would want to see at the end. Like, I could see maybe Melissa. I could see maybe Heather. Like, I could see either of those, but Lee, even. But, like, Kelly, like, Kelly really did not bring anything. was the only blonde and that was her personality so bummer I'm just gonna really quickly rank them which one I like the most last place is gonna be 2019 as I said um second place 
And let me explain my answer. I'm going to put the original. First place, I'm going to give 2006. And hear me out, hear me out, okay? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, stop, stop, stop. I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna tell you right now, though. I've stated already, 2006 is not a good movie. Black Christmas 1974 is an amazing movie. It is a thousand light years better. And honestly, better than any of the horror, most of the horror we get today. But 2006 was my first introduction to Black Christmas. It holds a special place in my heart. I watch the 1974 one every year, but 2006 I watch a lot. I think what it boils down to is while 74 is the better movie, 2006 is just batshit crazy, and you end up having a lot of fun with it. And I really enjoy fun movies. So this ranking isn't which one I think is better, because if we were doing that, then the original would be number one. This is me ranking, like, which ones I personally love the most. And it was very, very hard. Especially because I know it's not a popular opinion. Um, yeah, so if I didn't completely <laughs> scare you away by putting 2006 over the original, I would love to see you back next week. <laughs> we are going to get into 1981's My Bloody Valentine. And then, after that, we have the My Bloody Valentine 3D. Um, <laughs> I have never seen the original. So I'm really, really excited to see what it brings. Because I think the remake is decent. I also haven't seen that one in a very long time, though. So I could be remembering wrong, and it could be absolutely awful. <laughs> Okay, um, thank you for listening. This has been so fun to do the Black Christmas movies. Um, I find something special in all of these, and I hope you guys do. I hope you guys do. I hope you guys do too. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.